Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. On the lighter side, first brand that made an impact on you as a young girl. Um, oh, what was the first? You know, um, I, well, uh, so I, the, it's funny what I'm thinking of because it's my, Fisher Price, like my record player. Uh, I loved my record player. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Melissa Grady, Chief Marketing Officer for the 118-year-old luxury car brand, Cadillac. Cadillac is a large brand in the General Motors portfolio with sales in the $15 billion range. And this is Melissa's first CMO job, and she has her hands full. Just before the pandemic hit, Melissa launched a major marketing effort to introduce the 2021 Cadillac Escalade. My guest today is a self-described data geek. She has worked on the agency side. She has labored on the client side on several large brands. She started her own company twice and is now about one year into her CMO role with Cadillac. We recorded this episode not in a studio, but remotely. And Melissa is in her apartment in New York, so you may hear some sirens. But anyway, this is a great conversation. This is my conversation with Melissa Grady. Welcome, Melissa, to the CMO Podcast. It is so good to see you again. And I have to start with this. I did not know, before I did my research on you for this podcast, that you had worked on a P&G brand way back in the mid-1990s, Gillette. It wasn't P&G yet, but you were, I think, an undergraduate. You did an internship. So what was it like to work in the mid-1990s on that big male brand? I guess it was a female brand by then, too. But what was it like working on Gillette in the mid-1990s? Um, I absolutely loved it. And I think it was one of the things that really sparked a lot of the interest. I always knew that I wanted to be in advertising and marketing. Um, I was in a regional office uh, doing regional marketing, and it really helped me understand and bring to life a lot of things I was learning about and go beyond it. Because I think when you're in school, the way you learn about marketing, uh, you know, a textbook is just not going to do it. Um, but I mean, Gillette, I just absolutely love that brand. Um, I was working on um, one of the James Bond movie um, pr uh, pr promotions that we had, which, you know, when you're 19 years old, I was like, I'm working on a movie. It was very exciting. And I, I just absolutely loved it. And I learned so much about how to how big brands work and how to, you know, approach things like category management that had never even crossed my mind uh, being in school. 
I have great memories of Gillette. The, the, uh, when we bought them, when P&G bought them, I was sitting in Mary Poppins' The Play in London, and my razor phone buzzed. And I stepped out of the play, and, and it was my CEO calling to say, we have to have an emergency meeting. We're buying Gillette. So that was one of them. And then through Gillette, I got to meet Roger Federer and Terry Henry and, and Tiger Woods. So it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great experience. And it was great integrating the, the, the brand and the people. It was just it was one of those acquisitions that really worked. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great brand. So you knew you wanted to be in marketing and branding and advertising early on. What catalyzed that interest? Where'd that come from? You know, it's a very strange thing. And I, you know, we laugh in my family because there's stories about when I was younger, uh, as I would put on plays, as children do, mine had commercial breaks. Um, So from a very young age, I just had this sort of love of advertising um, and it, it always fascinated me. Um, and I remember also uh, watching Who's the Boss? And I used to look at Angela and say, well, now that's what I want to do when I grow up. And I didn't really at that point know what that meant, but I knew that that I liked it and I wanted to, I wanted to do that, whatever that meant. Were, when you took these commercial ad breaks in your childhood plays, <laughs> were there any jingles that you love singing? Any, any ads you remember having like the crazy music? You know, I'm not a singer. <laughs> My mom will tell you she doesn't really like me to sing. I may have had I was I was one of those children who often forced other children to either be my students as I was a teacher or be in my plays and commercials. So someone else might have had a a singing role, but mine was more um like I you know, I was the one about selling air conditioning in an igloo. It was one I remember. <laughs> Super. Well, listen, we're going to get into your early life later, but what I want to talk about up front is your amazing kind of rise to be the CMO of Cadillac. You were, for our listeners, I'm going to go through this. You were working in 2018 in a company you founded, B. Grace, and also for the Jackson Hewitt tax service. Um, you were- B. Grace was after Jackson Hewitt. Okay, got it. Somewhere in there, you were recruited by Deb Wall, yes. who was the CMO of Cadillac at the time, and she asked you to run media and performance marketing at Cadillac. Well, you come in, and shortly thereafter, Deb goes on to be global CMO of General Motors, your parent company, and you were promoted to Cadillac to be CMO of Cadillac. That's a lot of change in your life in two years. And then you just throw this pandemic and everything else that's going on with that into that. So tell us what you have learned about yourself over the last two years. Um, It's been very interesting. I think um, as I was running my business, I had my life in a place where I felt probably as in balance as I've ever felt. Um, And I was really defining where I was going to be when, what I was going to work on, how I wanted to run things. It It was very nice. And then I did. I had this conversation with Deborah. Um, who I had worked with when we were when I was at Jaguar Land Rover, um, which was owned by Ford at the time. She was also there, and younger in my career, and unbeknownst to her, she was someone who I had always looked to because there weren't a lot of women in automotive at the time, and she was really a role model for me. And um, I was very happy with where my life was, but I just wanted to go have the conversation with her. As fate had it, my office and her and the Cadillac office in New York were right across the street. So my intention was to go thank her uh, for for really 
helping me know how to act and, and really being a good role model. Um, and in that conversation with her, as she was talking about um, driving change in General Motors and how performance marketing is marketing and all these things that I have always inherently believed, um, I realized that I had to uh, make the shift and go back into corporate America, which is where I've really spent you know most of my career. Um, going into what I have learned, um, it's it's been very interesting. So I learned how to kind of, I think, pull a lot of the balance that I had achieved in that time. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm achieving it now, but I'm much better at knowing where I am and making sure that I stay centered and get myself what I need. Um, and then moving into, you know, as, as I became CMO, we had the strike that GM had to navigate about a month after. Uh, then we went into the pandemic, and now we have all the the social issues that we're really facing at GM very head on. So um, there's there's been um, a lot there. I think I'm learning that um, I can handle whatever comes at me, and uh, that's been I think good to know. Um, we've we've navigated this I think pretty well, but it's been a very uh, very intense couple of years, but very very fun. Let's let's laser in on the pandemic and the social unrest and everything that's happened over the last you know five months or so. What has changed about you? Are you running your team differently? I mean, we're obviously all working remote. We're doing this podcast remote. But what are some of maybe the the more non obvious or interesting things about how you focus, how you divide your time, how you work with your leadership, your team? So tell us a little about the habits, the practice, the rituals of the last several months that might be of interest for our listeners. Yeah, I think one of the things that's been the most interesting to me in all of this is the, you know, we always talk about work-life balance, right? And we talk about it because there is no such thing as work-life balance. And what I believe we've really moved into this year is work-life integration. Um, and it's really very interesting to look at um, now I, we, you know, we have this, mo these, these very human moments. And I think about, you know, before the pandemic, if my dog started bark barking right now, I would have been mortified because that is just, that's just not how we act. It's not, you know, that is a separate thing. Whereas now I feel like if you're in a meeting and a dog starts barking, you pick it up and you say, Hey everyone, this is Akira, my dog. And there's, there's just this accepting of our humanness and, and the integration of that. Um, and I think that that is really helping us be more integrated um, and, to, and to figure out how to be the people that we want to be. Um, I think what's been really interesting is trying to figure out how do we stay connected. We're all much better at working from home, uh, myself included, than I thought we would be. And that's been uh, such an amazing thing to see how quickly we've been able to do amazing things. Um, and it's, it's what, where it becomes interesting is in these moments when we're trying to stay connected because you don't have the, you know, proverbial water cooler, we're not grabbing coffee together. We're not doing all these little things. So that's where we've been trying to focus on how do we create some of those moments. Um, one thing that was really amazing that my team did that I would highly recommend to anyone is we had been working with second city and we had been doing it in person uh, pre-pandemic. And we, as this became clear that this was really going to be the rest of the year before we could all be in a room together joking around and, you know, doing more physical type humor, 
um, we did a virtual session on Zoom and they put us in breakout groups. And it was, it was, I think, one of the times when the team felt so connected and had so much fun. So we're looking at what are the other things that we can do to manufacture some of the moments that happened more organically before. Yeah. So Second City is obviously a performance comedy group, very famous in Chicago. What was your uh, objective when you brought them in with your team? Was it just to lighten people up or was there something more it's, specific you know, about it? It's definitely a little bit deeper than that. I think the lightening up and the, the team building aspect of it, um, there, I think there's two main reasons. One, um, we are a completely new marketing team. And it's such a fascinating thing because we, Cadillac moved from New York to Michigan. In that move, we had over 90% attrition. So this is a group of all new people who a lot of them don't have any history together. We're trying to to build a little bit of that, uh, I think, just teamwork. Um, it's such an incredible group of people that we have. I'm so lucky. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, improv really just helps you think on your feet, uh, become a little more comfortable. Um, and especially for people who don't do a lot of presentations, um, when you're put in that situation, uh, there's the, you know, there's a lot of affirmation when you're doing improv. And I think it really helps you. It puts you into a situation uh, that's safe, that really helps people grow uh, in that area. You're doing improv now, by the way. <laughs> See, I'm a, a couple of months ago, I wouldn't have been prepared for this. But <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to really test your improv skills right now. What is the most quirky Cadillac slogan or selling line throughout history? This is a bit of a subjective one, right? Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I like, I don't know what the most quirky is. Um, I'm thinking back to. Do you have a favorite? Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, what I'm working on now is some of my favorites. So we're, you know, our, we just rewrote our brand manifesto and it's in, in the vein of it's make your way. So it's about the, the, the spirit of Cadillac. And if you look at it over time and we have like Cadillac is just a brand of innovation and change, um, the, since the electric starter, which if you go back to the early 1900s, and that's a fascinating story on how we had the first electric starter. Um, so this, our whole brand manifesto, which I really feel like embodies the brand, is about how, um, and I'll tell you a really interesting fun fact in a minute, about how people keep redefining themselves. They push themselves. We have a very like innovative spirit. It's you're, you're the person who um, always does something a little different and and just ha- there's this Cadillacness to people. So um, I think that's, it. I, I love where we are with that and how much it represents where we've been throughout all of history as, you know, all of these famous people have driven Cadillacs and we've had so many innovations in first with our brand. I, I think that's a, a good answer. And I think what you're doing now is really interesting. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the, the most quirky one I found was 1905. You know, would never get this. And it's this one. You can kill a horse, but not a Cadillac. <laughs> Pretty good. That is very that is very quirky. Um, you know, we also have like a long time ago the penalty of leadership, which is a, a very uh, 
inherently Cadillac thing too. Um, so that's a that's another really good one. All right, you have a brand with an amazing history, so that's you know it's a great great privilege to work in a brand like you are, and I know you know that, and we're going to get into that a bit more. You have only been CMO for eleven months. I think I have that about right. And your first big statement was in February of 2020, right before the world shut down. And you totally owned the Oscars. I remember that. You had Regina King, Spike Lee, others, your manifesto video. And you were launching your 2021 Escalade, Escalade, whoever you want to say it, behind the new manifesto, new energy. So, wow, you know, what are you learning about launching a major manifesto, purpose, new, new product refresh right before the world shut down. I was going to say, so what am what I learning? Have, what have you learned? How have you pivoted? What changed? How are you trying to keep that momentum? I think it's extremely interesting. Uh, what have I learned? Be ready for anything. Really, just honestly, be ready for anything and be ready to quickly pivot. Um, and when you are ready to quickly pivot, then you'll see good results. So I think that's been the the biggest thing that I've learned. Um, it's been, it's been a fascinating time. I think the other thing that we've really learned is, um, as we're pivoting, we had a really strong base. Um, so the campaign, the manifesto, all of that was in such a, a it was coming from such a good place. Here's the fun fact that I was going to tell you before. Um, when you go into our database and you um, look at job titles, we well over index on CEO and presidents because we have so many entrepreneurs um, and people who are just driving change um, and really doing their own thing. And so understanding that and having that, you know, I one thing that I always tell my team that's so important that I learned early on is having a really good insight. And when you have a really good insight and that's the place you're coming from, um, you're, you can use that truth to, to quickly pivot. So where, where we were able to, to move and maneuver is, and it was all because we had that, we would go back to that and say, well, right now this feels, you know, people running in the street together, some of the breaking through, that's not where the world's at right now, right? That's just, it's not the conversation we're having, but we understand who this person is we're talking to. So how do you have that conversation as a brand knowing that that's your truth? And so we were able to quickly pivot into that we have your back messaging. Uh, we were one of the first brands to pivot into that. Um, and then we we really stayed in front of um, consumer sentiment as things were changing. Um, and being able to tune into that and have that messaging change has really been working well for us, um, I think better than expected. And then as we're moving into what is the new Escalade campaign, it's becoming the new iteration of what we need to be in the environment as it is today, but coming from that same place. So as you pivoted, what did you learn about how your brand voice and your personality had to change? I mean, you had this exuberant campaign, this very thoughtful campaign that you launched in February. So what 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 did you what did you have to adjust in terms of your voice? The first thing was, I think, you know, when you look at um, who would the person be and what would the conversation be that we'd be having when the pandemic first hit, we and, you know, I think a lot of pe there was a lot of we're in this together. But for us, um, our where we turn to is we have your back. 
And so it was, if I'm someone who's always driving forward and a change maker in the world, what am I going to do when others are needing help? Well, I'm going to be there to help them. And here's the different ways that we're going to do that. And so, you know, we talked about how people could shop online and we had some really interesting and fun innovations on that. We talked about um, financial help and it was just, you know, call our finance company and we'll work with you. Um, the dealer will come to your house, drop off or pick up cars. Um, it was all touchless. I used it. It was amazing. So it was just in that moment, it was how how would we, how if, you know, a, a, a brand is a promise, a brand is like that. How would this, if, if our brand was a person, how would that person have this conversation? Um, and now as we're moving in, and especially you see it, you know, with a lot of what GM has done, um, as we're having a strong voice in equality and justice for all, we're moving into the Escalade campaign and saying, given everything that we believe and what a strong brand we are, how do we adjust that messaging now in, in the world that we're in? Which I think we all as human beings are also doing, right? Like we were all in a certain place, the world hit the brakes, and we all kind of took that step back and said, okay, you know, what do I, what do, knowing what I stand for, how does that come out now? Yeah. And the lesson there, obviously, is understand your brand and, and be in the shoes, the head, the heart of the customer. Exactly. You know. So you talked about insight and truth a moment ago. Uh, I just find so many organizations have trouble understanding what an insight is. Yes. And recognizing a good one and what's just data. Yes. So what have you learned or how do you teach your people about how to generate an insight, how to know one when you see one, how to act on it. This is, and I think this goes back to like my first advertising class at DePaul. Um, and then I went to Northwestern for database direct and e-commerce, but it was an advertising program. So I think early on insight was ingrained into me. Um, and so I, I use a lot of examples. Um, and I think to your point, it's very interesting because I'm known for being an analytical person in data. But I think the reason that I'm known for that, which is very important, is because I know how to bring data and data into insight and then marry that with creative. And it's the combination of that that, that is where the beauty of things is, not in being a data-driven person. Um, so insight is just to me one of the most important things because I, you know, there's a few examples from the side of if you go too heavy on data, we could have the best targeting in the world, but if we're running blank ads, no one's going to buy it. So how do you create that connection over to like examples that have resonated with me on what, what's a good insight? And the first one I ever learned about was the uh, vacuuming and how the, um, I believe it was Hoover, uh, had, they were talking about how clean they could get your carpet. And that was really where their advertising was. And then they did research and they realized that people like the sound when you run the vacuum and they like the lines that you make. And that's what, what drives you. And those, that sound is what makes you think that it's clean. Um, and then they pulled that into their advertising and it was like a, a huge shift. Um, one of the one of the things that I, I feel like, um, and I'm giving them a lot of credit for it, so I hope that that's where it came from. Starbucks had one recently that just really hit me. And uh, the the cups say that first sip feeling. And anyone who drinks coffee knows that's why you drink coffee, because you, it hits your lips and you're like, okay, 
my day is actually starting, the brain's going to start working. So I think, you know, there's all these things that when you get to that point, then you know when you're doing something right. Um, and so for us and, um, you know, getting to this insight of who this Cadillac person is, um, and it, you know, I've, I've been saying since I got in this job, my job isn't to change this brand. My job isn't to, to drive other things. My job is really to make people understand what a badass, amazing brand Cadillac is. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of a shift. And like the, the people who drive Cadillacs are so awesome. And, um, the brand is just, I mean, literally, you know, from 1902 to today, all about first innovation um, from the first um, electric starter all the way through to like the first airbags um, and magnetic ride control, the first one with OnStar, like all these things. Um, and then you come to today and, and we're moving into electrification and um, understanding who the person is we're talking to and what the brand is, um, is, is the only way to get the message to be right. How do your people know this is important to you? How do you, do you talk about insights a lot with them? Do you put I it do. in their work plans? Do you have meetings about it, training and development? How do they know that this is one of your important priorities? Um, so I will, I will say I talk about it a lot. Um, and I, and I say that we, we need to have insights driving everything that we're doing. Um, and, and it, and it goes through all the way from what does the product need to be? What does our advertising need to be? What should the consumer experience be? Um, it's all about these, these human connections. Um, I do know that it's resonating because I, uh, will see when someone on my team hears someone say the word insight, they smile or nod. Um, or I hear them saying it as well. So, um, I, I definitely know that, uh, People know that I, I think it's important. So, Melissa, back to your first year as CMO. You're almost finished your first year. This is your first CMO gig. And it's on, obviously, a very visible and large and important brand and one that's part of our history. And you're following the CMO who's now mo moved on to be your parent brand, CMO. So did you feel prepared for this responsibility and this transition? Um. It's not a trick question, but there's it's a dichotomous answer. Um, I think that I, on the one hand, felt very prepared um, because um, I had worked so closely with Deborah to really drive Cadillac. I think we ha we had a very aligned vision, which is why it was so exciting to come here. So there was the part of me that was operating um, in that manner coming into the role. Um, I do think that there's, you know, when you have one of those jumps in your career, there's always the, uh, there's always a little bit of, uh, like not even necessarily a learning curve, but just an adjustment, um, to, to the difference. How did you start up? What could we learn about that? I mean, you're already in the company. You were working on performance marketing, advertising, Deb leaves to be in the, the parent brand. So how did you change? I mean, where, did you change? I mean, how, how did you treat your first 90 days? Um, the, so a few things, I think, well, we did have the strike within my first 90 days. So that was, uh, that was a big focus. Um, 
there's, you know, a lot of it didn't change. And I think that's one of the things, and it's, it's amazing. GM such an amazing company, but one of the things that, that they do is, um, by finding people internally, you just, you have some sort of continuity, um, that's very helpful. Obviously for me, um, there was the taking on the ownership of the brand. So whereas I had such a passion for the brand, um, taking on the ownership of it, I think I spent a lot of time, um, thinking about how I wanted to express that. And there wasn't really, again, because Deborah and I are very aligned, there wasn't a big change there, but that ownership, um, and that stewardship was the biggest thing that I, there's, there's not a moment now, if someone's saying something about the brand that I disagree with, that I would hold my tongue because that's like, that's, that's my baby now. That's like, I'm, I'm in charge. So uh, that was the biggest change I think was, um, making sure that I was, um, communicating well enough and making my voice heard on things, which is something I think we're, we're continually evolving on. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about what your work is as CMO of Cadillac? Our listeners find this very endless, endlessly interesting, what a CMO does, how they spend their time, how they're measured, you know, if your work was, you know, put into a pie chart, what would that look like? So could you take, you know, put, pull the curtain a bit back from how you focus and how you spend your time and what your role is? Um, it's one of those interesting things that it just, it depends on the day or the week. Um, I think the biggest thing, um, we're always at Cadillac really trying to drive change. Um, so I spend a lot of time um really trying to understand where do we need to go um, and what does that need to look like? And I probably now, even more than before, try to make sure that I'm looking externally more, uh, communicating more with people externally to make sure that um, I like to, I I sort of like to push myself or be argued with. Um, I I actually lean on my um my direct reports a lot and I always ask them to tell me when they disagree or or they have another viewpoint because I would rather that someone argue with me I work through what I think and then I can either stand firm with this is why I think that or um I'll change my perspective a little bit but I I just think it's really important I think you know early on in my career someone someone was telling me about someone else and they said, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And I was like, well, that's a tough one because you definitely don't know what you don't know just inherently with the words that you're using, right? So how do you prepare yourself and how do you understand what those things are? So um, that doesn't have a lot to do with my day-to-day, but it's just, I think as as I look at um, making sure that I'm I'm prepared for and seeing things more than I was when I was in my old role where I was like, you know, just kind of had this machine working. Um, I think you spend a lot of time, um, a lot more time now communicating outwardly and trying to make sure that you stay connected with people, which is so important, especially now in the pandemic. Um, I, you know, spend a lot of time reviewing um, presentations, um, there's the days uh, that I love when I'm in the design studio uh, looking at our future products or things that we hope are future products. Um, I was, it's amazing when you look at clay models and fiberglass and, you know, where we're going. So uh, it's really, it's all over the place. And it's, it's interesting 
um, because I don't think I would have known going in how different every day would be. Like, for instance, today I'm here talking to you. Have you always been a car geek? So, um, I, yes, I'd say yes. Uh, growing up, my dad, my dad really was. Um, and he also, um, made me learn about cars. So, you know, before I was allowed to drive, I had to know how to check my oil, change a tire, um, you know, just more of the basics. Um, he loved classic cars and he could kind of tinker and put things back together. So I had that in me. Um, I definitely, um, love, I, I love driving and I do, I love cars. Um, so, um, I think there's a lot of things it's, you know, before I, I wasn't looking to get into automotive when I did. Um, but it was a really fun product to, to be working on. I love it. And automotive was my first job out of grad school. Uh, so I worked at Gillette and then Jaguar Land Rover. I had some really cool jobs early on. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. You mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, uh, your team is new, that you you had moved the marketing team to, to New York years ago. It was before your time on the brand. And you moved back to Detroit. Now, this, it's a little weird talking about this in this era of working remotely and we're not going to the office, but it is an interesting move. And I, I want you to uh, tell us what you've learned about that, what your organization has learned about culture, about co-location, you know, uh, a bit, because it was a very, very public move when you went to New York. I remember it very vividly. And, and for whatever reason, that wasn't right for the brand and you moved the team back to Detroit. So could you tell us a bit about that? Tell us that story and what you've learned. Yeah. And like you said, I was not there for the move to New York. I did join when we were in New York and then moved us back to Detroit. Um, there's there's so much to go into on this one. I think one thing that has been I, – I spent a lot of time in Detroit earlier in my career because I was at Ford. Um, that city has gone through one of the most amazing renaissance that I have ever seen. Um, and so there's something, uh, I think that really speaks to Cadillac in Detroit. Um, you know, part, if you go back to our, like the brand insight, it's, if you put it's Cadillac is a little bit like the American dream. It's if you decide you want something and you work really hard, uh, you're going to do it and you can, you can be incredible, right? Like, I think if you look at Detroit, Detroit decided it was going to be a a world-class city and then did the work and now it's a really amazing city. So I think there's a there's a huge alignment just with and if you look at, you know, the history of Motown and how that ties so much into Cadillac um and the, there's just that that connection that lives there. So I think from a where where does Cadillac belong? Um Detroit's a great place for us. 
The other thing I think that was really important, and even though we're not co-located right now, um, the mindset of, I, I will tell you, um, going in, I joined Cadillac for the Cadillac vision um, and what Cadillac was doing. Coming into GM and being on the inside of that, this is a company that is so rooted in innovation, um, in the the attitude at GM um, of one team and working together and, and just how the company, the company culture is pretty incredible. And when we were in New York, um, there was a separation that was purposeful, right? We need to bring Cadillac over here to do their thing. I think Cadillac did a lot of, if you look at our product portfolio now, if you look at where our brand is, like we did a lot of the work we needed to do, but pulling us back into that GM fold has been amazing and really allows us to do so much more. So between having this really cool city um, and having the parent company of GM who has this vision to change the world, um, it just, it made a lot of sense. And I think that even, even if we might all be sitting in our homes right now, mentally, that's where we're at. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting, uh, I'm glad you moved back to Detroit. I think that was a good move. Yeah. And I think it is the right city for Cadillac. Uh, and your, your culture also is one that I think you want to be a part of, as you just said, I think it starts at the top. Mary Barra is one of my favorite CEOs. And I think she sets an incredible tone. So good for you and moving back. Hey, I want to go back in your career a little bit further. And you, you've worked at a lot of interesting places, but the two companies where you spent the most time in your career are uh, Jaguar Land Rover and Motorola. And both storied brands in their own right, right? Land Rover, I think, lo- launched right after World War, World War II. And Motorola, honestly, started mobile technology. So just, you know, amazing, amazing brands with heritage. You know, what what defining experiences from those two companies have made you the kind of leader you are today? And what are you sort of carrying forward from what you learned at Land Rover and at Motorola into how you lead today? So there's, there's a few different things on that. Um, and I'll, I'll start with Jaguar Land Rover. And I alluded to this a little bit before. I didn't mean to get into automotive. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't really on my radar. And in fact, I, you know, it was the, the mid nineties when I went to grad school and data-driven marketing was just starting. Um, I fell into it a little bit. There's a funny story about, you know, the, the student mentor who was supposed to tell me like, here's where the computer lab is. Here's how Northwestern works, whatever. Um, asked me this question that really changed my life. And his question was, uh, do you like math? Um, and my answer was, yeah, but you know, I want to be in advertising. My brother's the engineer. I don't, I don't want to do math as a career. Um, and he, he said to me, look, the world is changing right now. Um, there's all these things that are developing. If you learn those skills, you have them, you can always go back to advertising, but if you don't learn them, you don't have them. Well, it incited this passion in me. I like learned how to build regression models, uh, I learned how to code in SAS. I I audited classes at the Graduate School of Math and uh, learned the limits to um, where my where where it becomes very difficult for my brain to like get into the theoretical. But it was amazing. And so coming out of school, 
I wanted to go work at American Express. And um, I was pretty focused on it. I was all set to move to New York. And um, I uh, Jaguar asked to interview me. And um, I actually turned down the interview um, because I had already signed my um, offer letter at American Express. And my professor said, look, we have people coming into the school. We don't want to turn down. Do you mind just going and having a conversation? This is where I learned always have the conversation. Um, and it's, a, it's advice that I tell everyone, you just don't know. When you think you know what your path is, you just don't know. And life teaches you that a lot. Um, just uh, set a goal and, and you'll figure out that uh, life will help decide what that is. So um, I, I went and had this conversation. And within five minutes, I knew that this was the job that I wanted. Um, and Basically, they they didn't have a database. They didn't have acquisition or retention programs, and they wanted someone to come in and build those out. Um, I'm coming out of grad school. I've worked at Gillette. Um, I worked at a steamship line for a little bit. I like you know I I hadn't ever done this. I had done some case studies on this. Um, I had I had read some really good, <laughs> read about some people who did this really well. Um, so the opportunity that was given to me. Um, I, I was like, sure, I'll do that. Let's do it. Um, and it and it was a huge, uh, it was a huge shift. But I really learned, you know, you've got to be open to whatever anything is because that that put me on this path of uh, number one, learning that I I like to build things, um, and I've I've learned that about myself. And it started from here. I don't want to come in and and be working on what someone else is doing. I can do it, but when you give me a clean slate and let me figure out how things are going to operate, I'll do it differently than other people. And that's another thing that I learned. I think differently. Um, and I think that was, uh, hard for me to learn, uh, cause I assumed that, that everyone thought about things the same way. Um, so that, that was another. And then I think early on at Jaguar too, I got promoted into a global role because of the success that we had had and learning about how to number one, look at all the markets differently, um, and implement. And this was another thing I'd learned about in school, right? Global, global, how do you do, how do you globally do something? It doesn't mean anything until you're sitting in front of like other people who live similarly, but different. And you figure out how does this program work here, here, here. So those were some very early, uh, lessons that I learned, um, at Jaguar. Um, and then it was Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, we acquired them while I was there. Um, and then Motorola, um, I think was another, such an interesting one. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite times in my career, aside from now, cause I'm really, I love what I'm doing now, but one of my favorite times was uh, when Motorola decided to relaunch e-commerce. And it was, again, at a time when things were really changing. So um, what an e-commerce platform looked like, how, you know, how as a brand you would um, put your inventory online, display it, and then the, and, and I really love technology. Again, like how technology comes together for the purpose of, you know, making a beautiful consumer experience. I love that. Um, and so this was about the, you know, the time before CDPs or DMPs or anything existed, we were building out this technical platform that allowed us um, to understand who we were targeting, 
Um, early attribution. Um, attribution is another one of those things that I just I, lo I love the theory of. So uh, understanding what different media people had seen, how to measure that before there were attribution solutions, um, and then trying to customize site experiences. And we were really just like building all this uh, without the tools that exist today. Um, and, and that was just, it was a lot of fun too. And I think it really kind of put me on the, the path I'm on now. If it's a, it's, there's, there's some, like, it's been a very clear path, I think my entire career, but there was like, um, a shift in some of the things that I was doing at that time, just cause things were coming on. And so like, you know, my love for digital and media coming together, um, that has had a huge impact on how I operate today. You talked about that you've been someone who thinks differently, and that's, that's a wonderful self-recognition on your part. How do you manage to succeed in large, complicated organizations when one of your superpowers is thinking differently? Because it's not, not easy to get people sometimes to think differently and to follow you. So what, what have you, how do you do it? Yeah, and I'll say there's, there's two sides to that. The first one is that now I like also learn to go back and understand how other people are thinking about things and to see if there's anything that I can change about how I'm doing something based on that. Um, but I think, you know, getting down to how do you simplify um, because my, you know, things are ping ponging around in my mind. How do you simplify that? And then how do you turn that into it's really marketing, right? How do you turn that into the benefit that the other person needs or wants? Um, and then once you have that, then you can walk them through um, how you got there. Um, and I try to do that in a in a very different way. I think I look back on younger me sometimes and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So. I know that feeling. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So listen, we could keep going about so many things, but I do want to spend enough time on my so-called lightning round where I just get your perspective on a lot of different issues about yourself and about the world and about business and brands. So I want to jump into that. And the first question is a really easy one. What do you think the biggest change is to brand building during this pandemic? Wow. The, um, you know, the I think... I don't know if it's the biggest change to brand building, but the biggest shift that we've made is changing our messaging. Like we, we changed our advertising every two to three weeks. Um, so I think, um, and I, again, I don't know that it's necessarily building up to brand building because I think having, knowing your brand and building the right connections, but how you build those connections is very different. Uh, we're just operating very differently now. How we use assets to quickly create commercials, how we um, look at things in a very, we were always looking at things regionally, but there's just a different science to the way that we do it now and how we're using um, addressable and some of the data-driven targeting. So I think that's been our biggest shift. Um, I think the biggest um, 
thing that you've learned, and again, not exactly about brand building, but as a brand, uh, you know the brands that did it right, and you know the brands that did it wrong during this. And so, you know, making sure that uh, you were paying attention to what people wanted to hear and where they were. Um, and that that ranged from, you know, we quickly got to messaging that was, we have your back, we're here for you, um, and took our other commercial off the air pretty quickly, to the shift lately of, like, if you were to play the commercial that we were playing in March now, you would be so tone deaf. Uh, it's just even though we're still in the middle of this and people are still going through things mentally, they're in a different place. What do you think what the biggest change to brand building will be when we come out of this someday? Um, I think that it's it's not only the biggest change to brand building, which I think it is, but just human beings. Like we've learned how to connect a lot better. We've uh, I think that um, more people, more marketers will be looking at insight and consumer sentiment and what's going on because you've seen what what can happen when it goes wrong or when you're when you're not on when you don't have the right tone. What's your greatest hope for business to come out of the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, I just, I think it's, this is a really emotional one, right? Like I just, um, I hope we get to the point where we really do have equality and justice for all. I think, you know, where uh, it's amazing. We looked at some of the, some historic um things that where we had been looking at Black Lives Matter type things, but like years ago. Um, and I think, you know, we, we had the same thing a few years ago when we were talking about women, but I just hope that we're not having the conversation anymore because we don't have to. Uh, best boss, this is a hard one, and why? Oh, goodness. Um, I've, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky in the boss category. Um, Honestly, I think two two of my favorite bosses are Deborah, who I'm working for now, um, and then also uh, Christy Vandenbosch, who was my uh, my boss at when I was at Tequila Shy at Day, um, and and for I think different reasons, I think Deborah and I um, have such an aligned vision, and she's just an inspiring, energetic, fun person to be around, and it just makes what we're doing really fun. Um, and Christy was just very, um, she helped me, um, really, she, she just let me run my own business, I think more than anyone had before. And so I learned a lot about my capabilities while I was under. Yeah. Uh, Deborah, I, I've known for a long time. This is funny. I, I called her when I was at P&G early in my days as CMO. And I said, I think we have a lot to learn from Toyota and Lexus. And can I come out and uh, spend a day or two with you? And that began a great relationship. And I learned so much. It was so amazing. Jim Farley was there at the time. So it was, uh, it was really, really a great, the beginning of a great relationship. So I want to ask you what your perfect day is. Uh, my perfect day. Um, my perfect day starts with a really good workout. Um, actually, it starts with meditation and then a workout. Uh, so I like to, to do that, get that out of the way early, and then start the day off with that. Uh, then uh, having some juice. I like to drink green juice every day. Um, and, then, and then I'm at that point, I'm really ready for um, whatever will come my day. Now, if this is a work day, then, then my perfect day has a balance of um, enough breaks in the day to have some like think time and get through some of the things that I really like to 
to read or, or get through, um, catch up on a lot of the, the work and look at strategic things and then uh, have some really fun, you know, there's a lot of meetings where if we're going through um, like experiment results, we run a lot of tests. If we're going through those results or we're building creative off some of our insights, like those types of meetings are just fun and I really look forward to them. Um, and then ending the day with a, a, a walk with my boyfriend and my dog and a nice home cooked meal and a glass of wine. That's a, that's a perfect day right there. If it's not a work day, there's hiking involved. Oh, nice. What triggered your interest in meditation? How long have you been doing it? Um, so I think, I think my, my interest in that came out of necessity, <laughs> but, um, I actually, I, I learned at Motorola and one of my coworkers, I uh, was Buddhist and I, I was, you know, just, I was running a lot and I needed to calm myself a little. And she said, well, uh, let me teach you how to meditate. And I was not successful the first couple of times. There was a lot of laughing. It was very hard. Um, but then I, as I started to practice it, um, it's really changed me. And um, now I love uh, Deepak and Oprah have these meditations that they do where there's a little conversation first. It helps get my brain in the right place and think about something. Um, and I like the, the chanting with the meditation. But um, yes, yeah, so I've probably been doing it about 15 years now. Wow. What are you uh, reading now or what are you listening to or what are you watching that's that's really having an impact on you or you're enjoying yeah. Oh, there's a few. There's this is a good one, right? Pandemic. You have more time for all this stuff. Um, it's funny. I'm rereading a lot of old uh, mystery books right now. Uh, so Sue Grafton and Sarah Paretsky. But on the business side, I've also been re I guess it's, I didn't really realize I'm in a lot of rereading right now. Uh, I am rereading Life After the 32nd Spot. Um, which is really fun to go back. And, you know, I've, as we're like, it's, it's funny because I just, uh, we're really trying to move beyond the 32nd spot and figuring out what are the really good connection points. And so I've been, uh, I think perusing a lot of things that are in that space. And then I started, uh, looking back at life after the 32nd spot. I'm like, wow, it's, you know, from like 2005 or six and, uh, we're, it's really the same conversation. Um, I've also been, I listen to pivot every week. Um, I've been watching down to earth on Netflix. Um, that one is, uh, Zach Efron is, um, it's just a fascinating conversation. So that's been good too. Um, there's, it's, it's been, uh, nice to have some time for some of these things. Although I yeah, miss I my agree. commute cause I don't yeah. listen to as many podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here. Your favorite story about your CEO, Mary Barra. Uh, oh, my favorite story about her. There's a lot, but probably my favorite story about her is when she uh, she came into the, a role in HR and she there was this very long dress code written out and uh, she just she kind of threw the whole thing out and was like, just be respectful. <laughs> so that's, that's very merry. So you've started, I think, two companies in your career. Is there a third in your head? Um, I think I would go back to the second and finish that before I would, uh, start another. I think that's still a little, it's, it's still on my mind. And tell our listeners about your second company. Uh, so my, my friend and I were working on it together and, um, I think, uh, 
the jewelry that I wear is mean everything every, it, it all means something to me. Um, and I, I get it in unique places or there's just a reason I have it. So we were working on a jewelry company that, um, was basically, uh, starting with bracelets, but that have meaning to you. Um, so we were working through the product development on that, but, um, it's something that if you, if you look at how I like to be centered and connected and make sure that there's balance and everything, it's, uh, it fits right in with, with me. Well, let's close, Melissa, with who would you like to listen to on the CMO podcast? Let me think that you've had so many of my favorites on, like uh, Raja and Marissa. And um, I think they're, they're the ones that, that I love to hear. Um, I, you know, um, maybe Deborah Yee should be good. Mm. That's a good idea. We will, be, we will be dropping Andrea Brimmer, the Ally Bank CMO you know, this summer, and I've already recorded her. She's also a Detroit person yeah, and a real Detroit person. She's great. And she is a really great leader and a really great human being. So uh, I just love doing this because I meet people like yourself and her, and you're all inspiring for different reasons. And that's the beauty of doing a podcast. So thank you for being with us and, and all the best in your second year as CMO at Cadillac. Uh, I'll be I'll be watching with with great interest. And it's really, really been dynamite speaking with you. Thank you, Melissa. Yeah, thanks so much. That was my conversation with Melissa Grady. Melissa spoke so, so helpfully about marrying data and creative and about how to really build an organization that values insights. And also she talked about what is an insight with lots of great examples. I also felt what was remarkable when I asked her what her role was and how she defined her job, she had a simple answer. She said, I'm here to build a badass, amazing brand in the brand Cadillac. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.